0: All right. My friend, Tim Goodpastor, sitting down here in the front row, he's a local guy. Well, I don't know. You guys are kind of funny about what you call local guys. Like if you're from Jackson County and you're in Jennings County, they don't consider you to be local anymore. So I've kind of lost track of exactly where we are. Let's go ahead. and. All right. There we go. But uh, Tim Goodpastor, he heads up a thing back here called coffee, community outreach for youth. And about about every year recently, he's brought me back, and we go into high schools, middle schools, county jail, and we try to share a message of hope to the people that are listening. And I'm going to do a little bit of that with you this morning. Uh, First off, let me at least answer the question you all have on your mind, because you you didn't know I was coming today, so it's kind of a little bit of a shock. So uh, uh, let's get it out of the way. You're all looking at me, and you're all wondering the very same thing. How can that man be missing two legs and one arm and still be so incredibly good-looking? <laughs> it's a gift, it's a gift, that's all I can tell you. Anyway, uh, my name is Bob, say, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Actually, I might show up Wednesday night in my pirate outfit and I might say, hey, mateys, my name is no-legged Bob. I am the shortest pirate that's ever sailed these seven seas. So, anyway, um, hey, it's great to be here. Uh, You saw a little bit about what we talk about in school. I'll give you a little, uh, give you a little refresher on that. This here is my handicap. This is my handicap. And what I tell the students is, this is the only handicap that I have. My missing legs and my missing arms, I don't consider them to be handicapped. They are just adjustments I've had to make in my life. I've had to make adjustments. I know you guys have had to make adjustments. But no matter what you go through, no matter what you lose, it will never make you handicapped. Because the only handicap I have, and the only handicap that anyone in this room will ever have, is the handicap we put on ourselves and it won't have anything to do with your legs, your arms, or wheelchairs. A handicap is something that we bring into our lives, that we allow to have a place in our our lives that keeps us from being our best. That's what I tell our students, being our best. But really what I I mean for them, it keeps you from being who God intended you to be. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives, and a handicap is something that we will bring into our lives that we will allow to have some sort of root that hinders us from being who God intended us to be. It can be something as simple as an attitude. It could be something as simple as low self-esteem. It can be something as simple as prejudice, the way we look at other people. It could be something as simple as the habits, hang-ups, and addictions that we bring into our lives. Those are the real handicaps. And I just wanted to bring that out to you this morning because that's not even my message. That, you get that for free, okay? So, Really, what I want to talk to you, I want you to understand my position on on my condition. This is the only handicap that I have. Now, I want to tell you a story this morning. Me and my family, we ride bicycles. Me and the fam ride bicycles. Okay, mine is not really a bicycle because it has three wheels. Don't call it a tricycle. (laughs) I'm a little sensitive about that. I'm just a little sensitive. I do not ride a tricycle. It is called a hand cycle, and it's designed for people who can't use their legs, have two arms, and you pedal it with your arms like this. I'm thinking of a man with two arms can do this. I can do it half as well. Half as well. And we love riding bikes. Me and the family do. We live out in the state of Washington. State of Washington. Upper left-hand corner of the lower 48. You guys know where I'm talking about? state of Washington, I have to clarify that because there's actually two Washingtons in our country, isn't there? There's Washington State, Washington, D.C., and people get them confused all the time because we both have a lot of fruits and nuts. (laughs) My state grows them on trees. D.C. lets them serve in Congress, okay, so... Not being partisan here, that was equally offensive to anybody. So, you know, we're just kind of sticking on that one. Anyway, um, so I live out in the state of Washington, so I told my family, I said, we're going to take a little bike ride. We're going to take a little bike ride. We're going to get on our bikes, and we're going to take a little family bike ride to the Statue of Liberty in New York City. God put it upon our hearts that we would ride across America on our bicycles. We called it hope and courage across America. We had a very, very short, simple message. Because I tell you, if you want to share the gospel with people, keep your message as short as possible. Make it as easy as possible to understand. People really don't have time to sit down and debate a lot of things with you. This was our simple message. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in Christ. Our trust is in Christ. But... We have to have the courage to use that hope when we face mountains, difficulties, and struggles. This was our simple message. And we planned on leaving our home out near Seattle, Washington, peddling across the northern tier of the United States to the Statue of Liberty and sharing that with anybody who would come to listen. We left in the middle of May, got on our bikes three days out, Three days out, we hit Snoqualmie Pass. Now you guys, I don't know how much of you travel in the Northwest, but Snoqualmie Pass is part of the mountain range, the first mountain range that we would hit on our journey heading east. And it would prove in the end to be the toughest mountain range that we will face on the whole journey. And we hit it three days out. Have you ever noticed, pastors, how like sometimes when you get like this big plan, This big idea, folks, you too, you get this big idea, you want to do something for the kingdom, you really want to make a difference in the world, so you get this whole thing going. Have you ever noticed how you seem to hit your biggest mountains early on? You hit your biggest mountains early on, and I don't know why that is, you know, I try to think it through, you know, I try to figure it out, because I've got a lot of time to do that when I'm riding my bike. And, you know, there's really only two places those mountains, those struggles in your life can come from. There's really only two sources. So we're, gonna, we're not. instead of taking time to debate it all morning, I'm just gonna go ahead and put you into two camps. There's this side over here. This side over here, you would come to the conclusion that those mountains are put there by God. By God, because he wants to test you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to chisel away to kind of shape you into the being that he wants you to be. And quite honestly, he knows you're weak. <laughs> he knows that you are weak. And he knows that what's on that other side of the mountain, you're not ready for. So he puts these things in our path to strengthen us and to, to, to build us. Is that a fair argument? Fair argument? Okay, now you guys over here. Couldn't you just as e- easily say that those mountains are put there by the enemy? You know, the one who is waging war against your soul? And the reason he does it is because he knows you're weak also. And he knows that what you're planning to do, this project, is really going to be good for the kingdom of God. And if he is going to attack you, if he is going to get you off track, he better do it early before you get more strength to resist him. Fair argument? Okay. Just between us folks. When you're facing a mountain, does it really matter who put it there? You have to deal with this. You have to deal with this. Three days out, Snoqualmie Pass. This is a good time in my story to tell you, I had a schedule, I had a plan, and I was in charge. Okay, just kind of remember those those things. I had a schedule, I had a plan, I was in charge. Three days out, we're we're camped at the base of Snoqualmie Pass and it's raining. Okay, Pacific Northwest, I, you know, I should clarify that. That could be any other day, every other day. But this was like a late winter storm that came in. Mid-May, and this late thing came in, and it's just hammering the side of the mountain with this rainstorm. I'd planned for this type of stuff. I'd planned for this. We had rain gear. <laughs> we purchased rain gear, and I told my family, I said, get your rain gear on. We're riding. Now. To go over Snoqualmie Pass, you actually pedal on the interstate highway, I five, no I ninety coming this way, I ninety coming this way. You pedal on the interstate highway because they don't build a lot of roads over the pass, so they made provision that you can ride on the, you can pedal on the side of the freeway and pedal up over the pass. So I told my family, let me let me introduce my family to you. They're not here, but I'll just describe them to you. There's my wife Darla. Be still my heart. We had our, our oldest daughter, Nicole. She was 18 years old at the time, going to a nursing, school, nursing college up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. There was our son, Grant, 16 years old. Then we had our little baby, uh, Chanel. She's 20 years old at the time. So I told the family, get on your bike. Now, I didn't, I, that was, I'm talking to Grant, Nicole, and my wife. The 10-year-old, Chanel, she didn't have to ride. Because, well, first off, if you're looking for any parenting advice this morning, let me give you a little bit of parenting advice. Taking a ten-year-old out onto the interstate highway in a rainstorm on a bicycle—bad parenting, bad parenting. But if you're 16, get on your bike, <laughs> and we take off, and we're going to be pedaling on up the—we're peddling up the interstate on, in, a, in the rainstorm. Are we the only thing on the interstate? No, we're not the only thing on the interstate. There's a lot of trucks out there, a lot of trucks. Any truck drivers in the room? Okay, let me just clarify right from the beginning at this point. We love you. Okay? <laughs> we love you. I and mean, in fact we do. In fact, on our journey across America, our most constant companions were semi-truck drivers, semi-drivers. Especially those cross-country ones, cuz like we're peddling across America, right? They're driving the big rig across America, so they're seeing us three, four, five times. Give us that friendly little honk, which is way different than that other honk, okay? (laughs) They're giving us these friendly little honks. We love you. We love you. The only issue that we have with you is that those rigs that you drive have 18 wheels, and those wheels will displace a lot of water in a rainstorm. And this is what's happening to us. Every time a semi comes by, a wall of water hits us. Another semi, another wall of water hits us. And more water. Remember remember that rain gear I was talking about a little bit earlier? That rain gear was wonderfully designed for rain and water that comes out of the sky. It was a little weak when rain comes from the side. So what was happening is we're getting soaked. Our gear is getting soaked. Our skin is getting soaked. But I'm stubborn, right? I am stubborn. I say, keep on pedaling, keep on pedaling. And I'm looking up, and I got my family ahead of me. I got my wife and two of my children on, on, uh, on two-wheel bikes up ahead of me. I'm on a three-wheel bike. When that wall of water hits me, it just rocks me a little bit. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to get tipped over. But I'm watching that same truck go past my family, and that wall of water hits them, and it's shaking them. And I'm thinking, man, it's only a matter of time. Some semi is going to come past here and displace the right amount of water. It's going to hit my family, going to knock them off their bikes. And we're on an interstate highway. So I hollered up to my family. I said, get off the road, take the next exit. And we took the next exit. We called the support truck up. The truck came up. We threw the wet bikes in the back. We threw the wet bodies in the front. And we came back down the hill. There was a little restaurant alongside the highway along, I said pull off, let's get something to eat. We go into this restaurant and we're sitting around this round table and I'm just going to, I'm going to give you the the seating layout. On my right is my, actually she was 19, my 19 year old daughter Nicole, the nursing student. Next to her, her brother Grant. Down next to her is uh, my brother-in-law Don. (laughs) And my sister Jeannie, who came along to help keep camp and watched a 10-year-old, who's sitting next to her Aunt Jeannie, and between her Aunt Jeannie and next to me on my left is my wife Darla. And I am at the head of the table because (laughs) I am in charge. (laughs) But I need to be honest with you folks. I'm not feeling much like a leader right now. I'm not feeling much like a leader, but you know what? I can't let them see it. Because if they knew what was really going on inside of me right now, we're way too close to home. And they may not want to follow me the rest of the way across America. So I put on my fake little smile and act like everything is okay, right? But I'm grumbling inside. Inside, I am grumbling. Anybody want to guess who I'm grumbling to? (laughs) Grumbling to the Lord. And don't give me that look like you've never done that. And you know what? Go ahead and grumble to God. He can take it. He knows what you're thinking and going through anyway. And sometimes it just helps to just vent. If you're going to vent, vent to him. And And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, come on, God. What's going on? What's happening out there? We're trying to do something for the kingdom. You know, that's always our fallback. We're doing this for you, God. You know, it's hope and courage across America. That was the name of our ride. I don't even put my name out there. And we're trying to do something really good. And then all we're doing is we're getting rained on. We're getting stormed on. And we can't even get up the first mountain. What are you doing, Lord? It was about that time, my 19-year-old, the nursing student, nudges me. She says, hey, Dad, Dad, that baby over there is choking. She pointed across the restaurant to a a table, and there was this baby that was beginning to choke. My daughter knew that baby was choking before the mother knew it, but the mother knew it soon enough because the mother's jumping up out of her seat, screaming, something's wrong with my baby. Somebody do something, help me. And my 19-year-old daughter got out of her seat, walked across the restaurant, took the baby out of the mother's arms, flipped it over, did something she had just learned in school that semester called a pediatric Heimlich maneuver. She slaps the baby on its back, something dislodges, and that baby starts wailing. Five minutes later, I was looking across the restaurant at that table, and that little guy was eating applesauce. And do you know what I learned? I don't have a schedule. I don't have a plan. And I am not in charge. God had to storm us off of that mountain, had to send semi-truck after semi-truck up that hill until I would get off of my pride, get off of my agenda, and get off those bikes and get down the hill. Because God, God in his sovereign power knew that there was going to be a baby in that restaurant that needed someone that was sitting on our bikes to save its life. Oh, let me tell you, friends, when you can get to that point on your mountain, when you can truly just say, God, you've got it. I'm I'm tired of calling the shots. I'm tired of directing it. This is yours. When you can get to that point on your mountain, it will set you free. It will release you. The next day, cloudy, 55 degrees, no rain. Not a bad day to pedal something over the mountain, I'm thinking. I said, come on, family, let's get back on our bikes. The same four, Darla, my 19-year-old Nicole, 16-year-old Grant, and myself. And we take out, and we're going to start pedaling across over the mountain. Let me tell you a little bit about my bike, just describe it a little bit to you. It's got three wheels. The back two wheels kind of lean in a little bit like this for stability. The front wheel is where all the chain and all the gears and everything is attached to, and that's really what moves the bike. And, you cr- and I crank it like this, and this bike is flat out cool. This bike has 27 gears. Finger shifters that I can reach without even taking my hand off the pedal. It's got a handbrake right there. Don't even need to take my hand off the pedal. I can break it, I can shift it. I got, I got, I got a mirror, I got a speedometer. I got a speedometer. Yes, I got a speedometer because I'm a guy. <laughs> And I just need to know, I need to know how fast, how far, and we're peddling along. We go out onto the interstate and what the way it is that, you know, let me tell you what our day is. It's 22 miles to the top of the pass. The first 15 miles are just kind of a slow, steady, general uphill. Then the last seven of the miles, last seven miles gets pretty serious. And we're clicking along on those first 15 miles. We're just clicking along, clicking along. I'm you know, shifting, I'm, I'm, watching my mile. I'm watching my speed. We get to the end of that 15 miles, I'm looking at my speed averaging six miles an hour. Six miles an hour. I don't want any of you young guys coming up to me after this talk and telling me how fast you ride your bike. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. I don't wanna hear how fast you ride your bike. I just wanna remind you that I am pedaling mine with one arm, okay? Happy with my six miles an hour. Those first 15 miles melt behind us, and then we hit that last seven. Now I'm shifting. Now I'm shifting. And I'm shifting. The man that showed me my bike, he said something I had. I had something on my bike called an easy gear. That was the term he used. He said, yeah, we got an easy gear on that bike. I never found it. (laughs) Never found it. But I'm shifting down to what would be the easiest gear, but there's nobody in this room that would call what I was doing out there easy. I'm watching my speedometer five miles an hour, four miles an hour, three miles an hour, two miles an hour. I've lost all momentum. I've lost momentum, which just simply means this. If I don't do this, the bike stops immediately. My kids ride ahead of me. You know, they don't have to ride two miles an hour. They ride ahead of me, I say, that's fine. Go to the next exit and wait. Go to the next exit and wait. Ride ahead, wait, ride ahead, wait. That's gonna be the rest of their day. My wife, Darla, Darla could ride with the kids. In fact, Darla could outride the kids. Darla's a good rider, but she doesn't. She stays back and she rides with me. I'm gonna give you folks a little bit of marital advice. Did you notice I didn't ask you if you wanted marital advice? Because <laughs> only half of you in this room would even say yes to that. The other half of us would say no, right? So I'm not asking. I'm going to give you marital advice. Friends, I guarantee you in your relationship, in your marriage, in your long-term connection, you run into mountains. Difficulties. And I will also tell you without any, without any doubt, Every mountain that you have ever encountered is a couple, one or the other of you has struggled with it more. It's not as easy for them. It's difficult. And it probably has something to do with their past or the, or, you know, we all, we all have scars. We all can bring uh, some luggage with us in our relationships. One of you struggles and the other one not so much. And what you're tempted to do if you're the person that's not struggling as much, you're tempted to ride ahead, right? Just to kind of get out ahead of them a ways. And you'll be saying things like, I don't know why you're making such a big deal of this. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know why you're struggling so much. You have gotta just let it go, just let it go. We actually will say things like that. And then we'll ride ahead. This is my advice to you, friends. Don't do that. Don't do that. Is it going to do you any good to get to the top of that mountain without your spouse? Aren't you going to have to wait for him? Wouldn't it be better if you were willing to stand back and to kind of go at a slower pace, ride alongside of them and help them get over it? That is what my wife does for me. She stays back and she rides with me. Friends, I'm not just talking about bicycles. Darter rides with me. But on this day, I am talking about bicycles. So let's get back to that story. (laughs) Two miles an hour, right? Two miles an hour. Man, don't talk to me about seven miles. Don't even tell me there's seven miles ahead of me because quite honestly, if I feel like I have to do this for seven miles, I'm quitting, I'm stopping. But I'll go a quarter of a mile. I'm gonna go a quarter of a mile, I'm gonna pull this bike off to the side of the freeway, I'm gonna drink some water, and then I will contemplate whether I go the next quarter mile. And this is what my day has become. Quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile. And after a little while, then all of a sudden I'm beginning to feel, every time I push forward on that handle, I'm getting this deep bone ache up in my shoulder. Now the only thing that's taken my mind off of that ache is that every time I pull back on that handle, There's this intense burning sensation in my elbow. (laughs) So now, I'm aching, I'm burning, I'm aching, I'm burning. I'm thinking, oh, man, what am I going to do about this pain? I don't know what you folks do about pain when you're hurting. I don't know what you do. I kind of tend to lean on scripture a little bit, okay? I do. In fact, this is my plug. Read your Bible. Come on, friends, read those Bibles. In fact, you want to do something really creative? Memorize a couple of scriptures out of that Bible. Because nine times out of ten, when your pain comes, when somebody hurts you, nine times out of ten, you don't have your Bible sitting right next to you. You have to have some word in you so you can pull it out of you when you need it. Now, fortunately, I'd memorized some scripture. Now, I didn't memorize, like, whole books in the Bible. I'm not those guys, but they're good guys, but that's not me. I just sometimes find a scripture and I think, you know, this may be something important to me someday. I'm just going to commit it to my heart, commit it to my heart. So I'm hurting, I'm aching, I'm hurting, I'm aching. I'm saying, God, 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 give me something. Give me a scripture, something that I can take my mind off of this constant pain. And this is where he sends me. He sends me to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, verse 30. Now, we're ahead of me there. Go ahead and pull that one off. Yep. Verse 30 we're looking at. And it said this, even youth grow weary and tired. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, God? Even youth grow tired and weary? Then I thought about it, then I, it, 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 I, I know what he was talking about. See, I was beginning to blame my aches and my pains on my age, right? On my age. I was in my mid 50s when I pedaled this thing across America, right? Why didn't I come up with this big idea when I was in my 30s? And and what God is telling me is, it's not about your age. It will never be about your age. You can never use the excuse, I am too old or I am too young. If God has put something on your heart to do, He will equip you to see it through. Yeah. Yeah, God. Even youth grow weary and tired. Young guys, my my kids are weary up there ahead of me. They may not be going at two miles an hour, but they're wearing themselves down at five miles an hour. Yeah. And then the next part of the verse up there, and young men stumbled and fall. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to tell me what that meant. I knew exactly what that meant. You see, when I was a young man, I stumbled and fell. In fact, let me be very, very specific about it. I was 21 years old. I was 21 years old and my brother and I stumbled out of a tavern. And It was not the first time we'd stumbled out of a tavern. Alcohol and drugs had become a a very integral part of our day in our lives. And we stumbled out of that tavern and we got in our car and we headed home. On the way home, the car goes around the corner hits a power pole, slides down an embankment, and comes rest at the bottom of a hill. We got out of the car to see if we'd gotten hurt. No cuts, no scratches, nothing. We laughed, we joked about what a great story this will make Monday morning. And we walked away from that crashed car unharmed. What I tell your students all week long is sometimes the most dangerous thing you do is walk away unharmed. Because every time you don't get caught, every time you don't get hurt, you're just going to take greater risk next time. Mm-hmm. And the trouble with walking away unharmed is that no matter what happened this time or last time, <laughs> that is no predictor of what's going to happen next time. My right. brother and I walked away from the, the, the crashed car unharmed, but we didn't know. We didn't know we hit a power pole. We didn't know that when we hit the pole, four, the cross arm snapped off and four power lines came down into the road. I scampered up the hill. Walked out onto the highway for the last time and my left arm hit one of those downed power lines and I fell on my knees. Twelve and a half thousand volts of electricity came through my arm, through my body and exploded my knees away into the ground. I collapsed, I fell forward and I lay across the rest of the wires. Sometimes you don't walk away. I woke up in a hospital in Seattle that was going to be my home for the next six months. And I'm not going to tell you folks very much about those six months. I will tell you that the first morning the doctor came in and asked me to sign a release form so they could amputate my left arm. It was burned crisp and curled up from fingertip to elbow the last time I looked at it. He would come in two weeks later for my right leg was only held onto my body basically by the back flap of skin and after 2 weeks i could stand the pain no longer i would fight for my left leg for several months before finally giving it up and during this 6 month period they would skin graft the front of my body and after 6 months i got out of the hospital and went right back onto the same road that brought me in there back to the parties, back to the drinking, back to the drugs. You know what I tell your kids? When you get on that road, the parties, the drinking, the drugs, that road never spirals up. That road only spirals down. And you might be wondering, how could I do that? Well, those of you that are involved in CR know know exactly how you can do that. Because sometimes it's just a whole lot easier to go back to go back, back to the things that are messing us up, back to the things that are putting us in chains, back to the things that are wrecking our lives. Quite honestly, sometimes it's a whole lot easier to just go back than it is to change. And I'm out on that road again, and four four years later, I'm spiraling down and down, surrounded by the weakest friends I've ever known in my life, hoping to find one good friend, and I found a good friend, a strong friend, This friend made me realize that I did indeed have handicaps, but they had nothing to do with legs and arms. I admitted I had a problem, and I asked for help. And this friend took me by the hand to get help. This friend took me to a church. A church? (laughs) Now, don't be offended by what I'm going to say next. This friend brings me in the back of the church, and I'm thinking, this is a joke. Come on, this is a joke, right? What kind of help am I going to get in a place like this? I got to the back row, got out of my wheelchair, sat on the back row, got my little 25-year-old attitude going. My friend just sat down next to me. You see, my friend knew that God was actually powerful enough to reach the back row of a church. Amen. In fact, you want good news this morning? God is powerful enough to reach wherever you are. I'm serious. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't care what kind of roads you've been on. God is powerful enough to reach you. And I understand so many things, even like a lot of the things that are kind of of keeping us down. Things like depression, things like anxiety, things like fear. I understand all of that, but trust me. And sometimes you'll get to the point in your life where the things going on inside of your head will just suck the color right out of your world. Things turn gray. I'll tell you though, God is powerful enough to reach into that part of your life because no matter how dark it is, the light of Jesus Christ shines brightest in the darkest Amen. places.
1: Amen.
0: We see this all the time in our prisons. Even this week, they, they take us in. I, I can't even count the number of doors that lock behind us as we go further and further into the facility. And then finally, they bring in the women or they bring in the men. And we see the light of Christ in that darkness shine. The place is so dark, if you just whisper his name, whisper it, Jesus. It illuminates the whole room. We see it all the time. I just want to encourage you with this because I I don't know anything. I'm not claiming to be prophetic, but it would not surprise me if there's somebody sitting in these seats right now who the darkness is closed in inside of their mind and inside of their life to the point where they're thinking they don't want to live anymore. Mm -hmm. They're thinking they don't want to be here anymore. And they're already beginning to try to to, to manufacture ways that they can check out of here. Mm -hmm. Let me just tell you this. Before you do anything that is irreversible, do this. Whisper his name. When you whisper his name, he is going to bring a beam of light down into your situation that is going to illuminate your next step that will not lead to death, but lead to life everlasting. God is powerful enough to reach wherever you are. But I'm sitting on the back row of a church on a Sunday morning, right? And the man says, God loves you and accepts you. Just as you are. Oh, that seemed like a miracle to me. Not that God could love and accept those other people. Because <laughs> quite honestly, folks, I wish I know your church is a good church. You've got CR. You guys are actually a powerful church in this area. Amen. But let me just tell you what it feels like when the guy when you come in from the back door there, and you might not have been in church for a decade. You may never have been in church. And you know what? Your hair isn't the way it should be. You don't smell nice. Your clothes smell like pot and smoke and drink. And you're sitting on the back row of your church, and they're looking at you. I'll tell you exactly what they're thinking. You're beautiful. It's incredible, man. Your clothes are clean. Your hair is combed. You smell nice. Anybody on this planet can love you. But what we hear from that back row is that God loves me and accepts me just as I am. Every scar that I have on my body, everything that I have lost, and every wrong road that I have ever been on, God knows all about. And he loves me anyway. And he loves me so much he'd send his son, Jesus Christ, to take the form of a man, walk in the dirt of this earth, live a sinless life, so that he could go to a cross and shed his blood on that old rugged cross as a sacrifice for my sins and your sins. Sitting on the back row of that church, I don't want to hear this stuff, friends. I don't want to hear it. But one of the rotten things about only having one hand is you can only cover one ear. (laughs) But it didn't matter, right? Because I'd quit listening with my ears. And I began to hear it in my heart. And he said, is there anybody here that knows they need to be forgiven, washed and cleansed by the blood of a lamb, reconnected with a heavenly father that loves them more than they can ever comprehend? He said, if you're here this morning and are ready to do that, raise your hand. And I'm sitting on the back row of that church thinking, why doesn't he just say Bob? (laughs) Right? Have you ever been there? I mean, am I the only one? And I looked at my life. What I'd done with it. I'd messed it up bad, really, really bad. And I thought, if God wants this worthless life, he can have it. And I did the most courageous thing I've ever done in my life. I raised a shaky hand at the back of a church. said, I need Jesus. Amen. That morning, I came forward. I prayed. I, washed, I just poured my heart out to him. And he poured his heart into me. When I got to amen, I stood up as a whole man. A whole man. And I know, friends, I still only have one arm. And I have no legs. But I know something greater than that. What makes me whole was never in my shoes. What makes me whole is in my heart. And there's a place in my heart like every one of yours... That only Jesus Christ can fill. Only Jesus Christ. And I know, friends, we're a lot of adults in this room. We've all tried to put other things in that place. Mm -hmm. Not all of them bad things, per se. I mean, your careers, you know, uh, money, your your possessions, your relationships. And you kind of shift them over and put them right in the center. And that's where all your decisions are focused through. Some of the things aren't so good for you. The alcohol, the drugs, the pornography, the immorality. We put those things in our hearts but let's be honest adults every time we did that that thing failed us didn't it and when it dropped out it left you lonelier and emptier than you ever were before until you come to that point in your life where you're allowed to position Jesus Christ where he belongs in the core in the center of your life in your heart I put Jesus Christ I brought him into my heart that morning That night I came back, I got baptized, and I decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him, and it's interesting. When I follow Jesus, he didn't take me down to the tavern to get drunk. (laughs) When I follow Jesus, he didn't take me to the back room to get high. And I'm following Jesus, and my handicaps are falling off. And six months later, I'm following Jesus right back to that church again right through the back door, right down to the front of the church. This time I brought the friend that brought me the first time, I brought her down to the front of that church and I married her. (laughs) I can't talk about her without smiling. She's the most incredible person I've ever known. and We begin to follow Jesus together till we find ourselves following Jesus up a mountain called Snoqualmie on bicycle. you guys remember this part of the story? And young men stumble and fall. Yeah, I know God. It was interesting, just reliving that memory in my mind, not only put a few quarter miles back behind me, but it also encouraged me because it told me, you know what? Snoqualmie is not the first mountain I've had to come over. And if God helped me over those other mountains, why don't I trust him to help me over this one? And then God says, okay, Bob, now you're ready for that verse 31. We're ready for verse 31, folks. But those who hope in the Lord, who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Oh man, folks, that's a power verse. If you're only gonna memorize one this year, that's a good one. And I'm reciting this in my mind. Oh, yeah, Lord, you got it. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings like eagles. Quarter mile, quarter mile, quarter mile. Snow, Kwame Pass, next exit. And I pull off, and I pedal up to that exit, and they were at the base of the exit, and there's the kids, right? Ride ahead, wait, ride ahead, wait, ride ahead, wait. I pull in there. I'm hardly, I hardly can't breathe. The sun's about ready to go down behind me. I'm losing my daylight. I'm sweaty. I'm, I'm going... Give me some water, drink some water, catch my breath. I say, okay, kids, it's about a quarter mile up to the top of this exit, up to the, up to the actual top of the mountain. We got to clean up, we got to straighten ourselves out. Because see, there were, we were about 100 miles away from Seattle at this point. And out there, they made this big fuss about us doing this ride across America. And I knew that there were newspapers and TV people that were waiting up there as we come across the mountain, as we get over the mountain before we disappear into the east, and we knew they were up there. So I said, come on, straighten up, clean up. I'm tucking my shirt in, I'm wiping my face. (sighs) Okay, kids, let's go. Go on, go on. And my kids look at me and say, no, Dad. You go first. We started following you up this mountain. We'd like to finish following you up this mountain. Now you men in this room, you fathers, let me tell you straight up, I am not ashamed to lead my family. I am not ashamed to guide them, but you need to know why. The only reason I can confidently lead my family is because I know who I am following. And when you are truly following Jesus Christ, you don't have to back off from being the leader of your family. I said, "Let's go." We pedal on up and it's just like I'd, I imagine it. There's the camera, there's the people slapping us on its back, on our backs. We needed that. We needed encouragement. But as soon as we got away from that, there were the rest of our crew, our 10-year-old, my sister, her husband. We went over there and we hugged. <laughs> And we cried, we just, we just crested Snoqualmie Pass and we only had 2,400 more miles to go. <laughs> I can't tell you all the stories about that ride across America. I will tell you, there's a book out there on, in, in your foyer on the table. It, it'll tell you about our ride across America and fill you in on all the backstory. Th- we have a price on it, it's $20, but you, you need to know right up front. That book is not worth twenty dollars. (laughs) Okay, it isn't. But whatever you put in that box back there is going to help us to continue this message wherever we go. We finished our ride across America. We made it there September twelfth. We were there September eleventh, but there was an election year, and the two candidates, the two primary, the two big candidates, were down on Ground Zero, and they were kind of blocking the way we said you know what let's let that happen let's back off we'll go in tomorrow and finish our ride you're here this morning and you're wondering what this message was all about for you well it could be anything it could be that maybe you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ you've never made that statement I want to encourage you this morning to take an opportunity for that pastor spoke about it during the Lord's Supper Maybe you're here today and you're facing struggles. You're facing mountains. And you're at your wit's end. You've used up all your favors. You've talked to everybody you could talk to about it. This morning, are you ready to give it to God? Not just like, oh, yeah, God, it's yours. No, but seriously, give it to God. Take your hands off of this and ask him to show you the next step. Would you bow your heads for me, please? I'm going to pray in a minute, but before I pray, let me just ask you, who here this morning is willing to say, you know what, I'm really ready to take that step. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to bring him in to the center of my heart, the center of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand quietly and I'll acknowledge it. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're facing a mountain, a struggle. The name of my mountain in this story was Snoqualmie. I don't know what the name of your mountain is. Cancer, foreclosure, separation, dissolution. I don't know. I really don't know. But God does. And are you ready this morning to give that mountain to God? And let him guide you over. If that's you this morning, just simply raise your hand and say, yes, that's where we're at today, Bob. That's where we're at today. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You just jump in and quietly join in any way that you feel comfortable with. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you love me. And Lord, I have never given you the place in my life that you deserve. So I'm asking this morning that you would forgive me in the name of Jesus. And I would invite Jesus into my life. Into the center of my core. And we'll make a commitment to follow him. And Heavenly Father. I've been following you. But I'm facing a mountain. And I'm worn out. I don't know what to do. I've looked everywhere for help. And I'm coming to a dead end. Lord, today I want to give you this mountain. I'm totally turning it over to you. I don't need a schedule. I don't need a plan. I do not need to be in charge. You show me the way. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give God a hand, please. I want to apologize for taking you a little longer than you expected. I want to just uh, say that I hope that doesn't inter- interfere with your day too much. Really appreciated the opportunity to be here. Continue to pray for us, pray for coffee, and uh, maybe we'll come back and see you next year. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Hey, if. You- I'm going to ask a couple of the men to come over and, and help our friend down, help Bob down. Hey, listen, if God spoke to your heart today, um, we've got time, man. The altar's open. If you want to come up here and, and, and pray, you want someone to pray with you, I, in, I invite you down right now. Um, God's so good, isn't he? And we look at things in our lives, and, and I think we try to see how many things in our lives we can put in our own way instead of, you know, how many things that God's taken away from in our way. So God bless you guys. If you trusted Jesus as your Savior today, if today you did say yes, Jesus, I'm going to ask you. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass you or call you out or anything like that. But, but I'll tell you what, we're going to be right over here. Would you come over and just tell us that that let us let us know that you trusted Jesus as your Savior? I want to pray for you guys, Heavenly Father lord thank you so much for this i thank you so much for how you just work in our lives how you talk to us how you just deal with us daily lord i pray that i pray for the people today that that have, that have said that listen lord the mountain in my life i'm given lord i'm given to you lord i pray that you just that they do give it to you and that you don't let them take it back um lord we love you lord there's ones here today lord that don't know you i pray today is the day that they do i Give the people that have trusted you today, Lord, the, the strength to take that next step as well, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. Love you guys. We are so happy that you guys are here with us today. Um, the altar's open. I'm going to go ahead and let people go. Uh, actually, you know what? Why don't we do bind us together, Alice? Can we do that? Or Alice? I said Alice. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, Janet. (laughs) Amen. Everybody, if you would, hold hands.